welcome to Retirementals, your all in for some good stuff today. My guest today is Steve Martin, who is a chartered and certified financial planner and the CEO of Smart Financial. Steve is also the uh, managing director or the leader of the Financial Planning Trading Academy and the Change the Future program, which is a coaching program uh, for, for, for the financial planning profession. Um, Steve, welcome to Retirementals. Abraham, thank you very much. It's uh, as ever, it's a pleasure to come and uh, come and chat with you on as we talked about such a beautiful sunny day, which we're, which we're yeah. all experiencing, aren't we? B beautiful sunny day. This is the thing. <laughs> this is the question. <laughs> I am in wet, cold Colchester. Where does this yeah. find you? In your villa in Spain or in your mansion in the north of England? It finds me in the villa in Spain. Uh, you might be able to see over my head. See that thing you can see just behind? That's the sun. That's the sun coming through the, the skylight. It's something you wouldn't have seen for, for a number of months. But yes, I am in the sunshine. I'm in Spain. Life is good. It's about 20 degrees. There's not a cloud in the sky. Um, and I never, ever wonder whether relocating was a bad idea, Abram. <laughs> I, I really don't. <laughs> I will tell you this. We're not jealous at all. And when we get, get our two days of sunshine in England, um, no yeah. doubt you will visit us on, on those days. I, I'll, I'll, I'll come and visit and hand out the sun cream to stop everybody getting sunburnt because it's such a, it's such a rarity. But yes, I'm good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, this is, you know, for me, this is the best time of the year um, being here because the, you know, the weather's just, just amazing and the summer gets, gets a bit hot, but this time of the year, it's, it's like genuinely life-changing. You know, that's the, uh, that was the idea and that's the, that's the reality. So no, I'm not, I'm not rushing back anytime soon. <laughs> Steve, you were an inspir inspiration to me. Uh, you know, this means a lot to me that you you joined the podcast. I remember those early days, um, you know, in financial planning. You you, you know, and 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 at the Institute of Financial Planning, the IFP. Um, your your talks were always inspiring. You know, you gave me when I was walking around with my camera. <laughs> Remember that room at the uh, one of the IFP conference? <laughs> I did. You know when I was interviewing. I, uh, uh, I was interviewing you, and you you've always stood out to to me as an inspiration. Your your talks were titled. I'm not sure if that was the title, but that was what I took away from it, which was like, "Be so good they can't ignore you." I can never forget how that made me feel starting out my career. Um, you know, or, or finding my way through, um, you know, this this world of, of financial planning. So for the purpose of our audience who may uh, not know a little bit about your story, can you take, take us back, give us a sense of the journey uh, that led to, to Steve Martin and, 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 and the Smart Financial? So... I'll, I'll do you the quick version because if people really want to know, there's there's plenty of other places they can go. But the highlights are I'm a failed medical student. Um, I then failed at uh, politics and management at Glasgow University. I left needing a job, applied for uh, an advert in a local paper that said trainee managers wanted. You know, so obviously with my impeccable academic record, I was still arrogant <laughs> enough to think that trainee manager was my level as opposed to total pleb, which was actually the level that I, I probably should have been at. Anyway, it was an elaborate wheeze to get me into a direct sales force business who who sprinkled stardust in front of my uh, young and failing face around how much money I could make so quickly whilst doing some some good, theoretically. Um, and that was it. My my journey had started. So I started working with City Financial Partners um, <clears throat> based in Glasgow. Um, I then, uh, after a relatively short period of time, realized that um, there was probably more to the world than a, than a appointed rep of Lincoln Financial Group. So I moved to a small IFA and, and kind of progressed my way through um, 
a couple of IFA practices. Um, I had one kind of seminal moment, really, that, that's kind of defined the rest of my career. I was working for an accountancy practice called Haynes Watts in Glasgow, and we were we were working with this client, and we'd done a between the tax partner and I, we used to work quite closely together, and we'd done huge amount of work for this uh, this elderly gentleman, or at least he seemed certainly very elderly to me at the time, um, for his uh, inheritance tax planning and and everything in it, everything else. And I don't know what he had. I mean, to me, it was absolute fortunes of money that I'd never even heard of mm. before. But I don't maybe a million and a half pounds or something that we needed to do something with. And we were operating on a, on a kind of three plus a half type charging structure, no up, no planning, no upfront stuff. Um, so basically, I was on for a bonus to go and buy a new bloody car or something if, if this had all gone to, gone to plan. Um, and right at the last moment, the client's sons came kind of into the discussion and said, there's no way, you know, this firm's earning 45,000 quid off you for the retirement plan and advice or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and basically took the advice that we'd given and took it off somewhere else and implemented it. I, I don't know quite what the reality was. And it, it taught me two hugely important lessons. Firstly, don't be such a greedy, insert your own uh, swear word. Um, but secondly, the, I was never going to put myself in a situation again where somebody taking my advice was the way I got paid. The advice is the value. The taking of the advice is the thing that you do, assuming you're not silly enough to take the advice and then not not do it, you know? Um, so those kind of two things had a crushing impact on my head at the, the new car that I had lined up, walked out of the, walked out of the door. And, <laughs> and so from that point onwards, I kind of foreswore that never again would I give my advice away for nothing and never again would I would I let myself fall into the trap of overcharging because that was kind of how it was done, um, and uh, yeah, and, and and that really was the start of everything else. So um, that put me in a situation where I needed to charge fees. I had no idea how to do that. I then met my now wife and, and moved to England, changed companies. I was introduced to Phil Billingham. Early, can't remember how, but kind of quite early in it, um, and then into the then into the IFP and the CFP, and kind of everything's really history after that. But you know that was the most important mindset shift that I, I'm I'm not flogging policies. I am an expert. I'm providing advice that's usually valuable for people, and nobody will ever get that for nothing from me again. But the trade-off is, you don't get to buy new cars when people take your advice anymore. You get paid properly for the job in a defendable professional fashion. Doesn't mean you can't earn a load of money, but you you know mm. you're not taking advantage really when it's when it's sat in front of you. And then the next bit really was the CFP. So the CFP gave me the tool that I needed to apply the logic that 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 harsh lesson that I'd learned in actually how do I make sure it truly is valuable? How do I join up those dots between now and you know now and the future and and how do we use that to inform the decisions that we make now rather than just dealing in you know dealing in now. Um, you know, because as you know as well, what's the right solution? What's the right investment? What's the right product? Nobody's got any idea unless they understand what it's supposed to do and when it's supposed to do it and who it's supposed to do it for and what it looks like when it's done and everything else. So so the CFP, for because this is all pre-voyant, pre-truth, pre-timeline, um, pre-cash calc, or, or, you know, all of this stuff. You were building your models out of Excel and and that kind of stuff. Mm. And it was the first time ever that that really that power of this came across. And and we have a client that we still work with now who was the first person post-CFP that had charged a fee for this work and had built the model in Excel. Um, and the guy, guy came in, he was working for KPMG, successful guy. He'd had enough. He wanted to know when he could quit. <clears throat> so pre-CFP, there was nothing I could have done. I, I had absolutely no idea to genuinely answer that question. I could have taken his assets and multiplied it by 4%, but we know the weaknesses in that as a methodology. But that, literally, that would have been the only thing I would have had available. But suddenly, now I understood this idea of planning, how I could put it together. It took me forever, like forever, to build the spreadsheets from scratch. It was like doing the CFP again, and I didn't charge enough money for it. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, I was able to sit down with this guy and say, you can stop today. You can go in this afternoon and tell them where to stick it. 
Um, and he burst into tears. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> so thankfully, as someone who like, like you who likes to talk, I decided at that point just to shut my big mouth and sit there and say nothing, uh, which was definitely the right thing to do. And uh, he expressed his gratitude that, that, you know, that checked a couple of times to make sure I hadn't made any mistakes um, and, and, and then set off to, to get on with the next stage of his life. Now, as I've now come across lots and lots of times, he did the total opposite of what I thought he would do. He didn't go and hand his notice in at all. What he did was loved his work for the next three years, worked four days rather than five, had a sensible grown-up conversation with his employer about how it could work for them over the next period of time. Didn't work so much in the summer, worked more in the winter because obviously didn't live where I live. So in the winter, there's you might as well work. There's nothing else to do. Um, and, and then stopped at another point afterwards. Um, and a week later, so a week after you know, I'd met with this guy, his colleague phoned me up out of the blue and said, I want whatever you've done for, for him because he's been a, he's been a miserable, what's your swearing policy? Anyway, insert, insert your own Go. word of choice. He's been a miserable sod, let's say, for years and I've never seen him so happy in the last week. So that's, it was supposed to be a short version, but you know, you don't get short versions really. But, but the, the, the point being, those were the kind of key stages that defined everything that's come. Everything that I've done since has all been defined by those, those sorts of experiences. The, um, the chance in my luck to get paid too much money that I didn't deserve and getting exactly what I deserved <clears throat> aligned with the fact that the recognition, therefore, that I had provided value, it just wasn't that valuable. And I'd lost out as well. I wasn't going to do that again. CAP gave me the tools to join it up. And then the first time I did it for real, totally life-changing experience for a guy. And it transpired for his colleagues and everything who were having a much better life because he was a happy guy at work willingly, as opposed to somebody who really resented the, the fact that he that he had to, to be there. And then 2008 opened Smart. Um, 2014, 15 started the training academy. 2019-20 started Change the Future and we opened our international business in 2021 as I decided I couldn't run away from actually doing any work in Europe uh, any any longer. I'd had a right good run at it but eventually I thought I probably should do something more about it. So there we go and we're up to, to date. You're listening to Retirementals. Hi there, I am super pumped to tell you about this new incredible event experience that we've created for the financial planning community in 2023. Advisor 3.0, Change Agent. Over the last couple of years, I spent a lot of time thinking, listening and talking to advisors about what the next iteration of the financial planning profession looks like. We've made this transition from the first iteration of the advisor as an agent of the providers, selling insurance and investment products to the current iteration of the financial advisor as an agent of the client. The next iteration of the financial advisor is so much more. The advisor is a change agent in the lives of their clients, helping the clients and their families navigate the insane life transitions that they go through in their lifetime. The advisor is a change agent in the business they work at, playing a crucial role in future-proving th those businesses against the onslaught of economic uncertainty, unprecedented 
technology and regulatory changes. That's why we've curated this mind-blowing uh, array of content, breakout sessions led by the profession's best and brightest, keynotes by world-class speakers. It's a day you don't want to miss. Co-hosting the day with me is the amazing Robin Wigglesworth, who is the editor at the Financial Times Alphaville and the author of the book Trillions. And then we have the insanely brilliant, the legendary Seth Godin. Yes, that Seth Godin as keynote. So this is happening on the 18th of May 2023 in London. So if you're a financial advisor, a leader or a founder of a financial planning business or a professional within the financial planning community ready to drive, then do yourself a favor. Block out the 18th of May in your diary. Get yourself registered for this amazing experience and I look forward to seeing you there. You don't want to miss this. See you then. You're listening to Retirementals. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the, the, you know, smart financial today, the business, the people. I always ask people about numbers and I say to them, you can get, you can tell me to stick it where the sun doesn't shine, but I will ask anyway. So give us a sense sure. of the business today and then we'll talk about uh, the international side of things. Um. So yeah, start, I mean, starting in 2008, everybody looks back and says, what a crazy time to start. It just didn't work like that in my head at all. I it, Clients still needed looking after. Clients were looking for help. The world was as the world was. Because I was three years post CFP, I wasn't engaging people in an investment management service. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't the best guy in the world when the markets were up and a total loser when the markets were down. So it honestly, it never even entered my head. It was the point at which I'd had enough of working with people who weren't going to change, who didn't understand that it was all about people and all about planning and not about money and not about structures and products and stuff. Um, and with a bit of gentle encouragement from my wife, which was either stop coming home and moaning to me about it or go and do something about it. You know, everybody everybody needs a kick in the nuts sometimes just to 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 take that step. So so that was kind of it for for me. So I, I was oblivious to the world. I'm still a lot of the time kind of a bit oblivious to the world that's going on around about it because it it's not important. You know, the micro things that are happening in it, from a from a client's long term perspective. I mean, of course. Stuff happen in the world is hugely important. I, that's not what I mean. But but for their long term objectives, it's you know it, it's shove it in a drawer, forget about it, and come back in twenty years. There's nothing that's happened even remotely important to to their long term strategies. Um, and and so yeah, I was kind of a bit oblivious with uh, with all of that, and just kind of carried on. I think you know without soapboxing too much, although I kind of can't stop myself doing it occasionally. I think you either find problems or you don't find problems, Abraham. If you want to find problems, they're there for you. If you want to find excuses, if you want to find reasons not to do stuff, if you, you know, all the amazing things that you've done and, you know, such a, you know, such a, a kind of heartwarming introduction from you as to, you know, how, how positively you've looked towards some of the things that I've done. But, I, you know, I do the same thing looking back at you. You see things and you just run through it like a lunatic. Like, just there's the wall. Boom. Let me have it. Where's the next one? I'm going through that as well. I'm going to kick it on the way through. I'll hit it. So, like, you just don't care. Right? If it's the right thing to do, you just get on with it. Excuses, issues, problems, they certainly don't seem to me to to impact the decisions that you make and the things that you do. And I kind of have a bit, a bit like that as well. I don't focus on them. So I don't have to deal with them too much because I don't really let them in in the first place. They just kind of, whatever. They just sort of 
bounce it off me. So, so it wasn't the big thing that it, maybe you know maybe if I'd had been in practice for twenty years beforehand or something, and I'd had hundreds of clients whose portfolios were massively down, or maybe I'd have thought about it differently. But I, I just didn't at all. Um, so where's the business now? The business um, has uh, has just made a move from Altrincham into Manchester City Centre. Um, wow. which was kind of a bit of a post-COVID thing. So we've got three, I mean, to call myself a regulated advisor is a bit of an overstatement, but according to the FCA register, we've got three regulated advisors. Um, our office is in one of these amazing new type um, co-working spaces with pool tables and bars and drinks and, and all this. And it's just, a, it's an amazing place. Honestly, if there was one thing that was going to drag me back to the miserable northwest more often it's actually such a nice place to spend time and and pick up energy from other people who are doing different things and uh it's just it's a brilliant place to to work so we're we're based there um and uh where are we for for numbers i don't know the, the business is still a pretty small business it was never my it kind of, if we talk a little bit of the training academy and the change the future, my aspiration to not take over the world, but to influence a lot of people, I never wanted particularly to do that through smart. I didn't want an army of people calling me boss. You know, a couple of people is good enough for my ego, but I, I didn't want to become a manager of people on a full time basis. That 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 didn't interest me. So. So we'll turn over somewhere in the region of half a million quid. We we serve about a hundred families. Um, we have a specialism, as you know, that Tamsin leads in working with people that are divorcing. Um, and although a lot of people work in that space, we try to get involved with people really early. So it's not a post pension sharing order thing. It actually is a coaching and supportive relationship through the process. Because we see it that at the point somebody separates the first day of the rest of their life. So that, oh. again, they can either get utterly absorbed in the battle and the war and the fight for kids and the fight for money or whatever else, or we can try as much as we can do to set that in a context of this is the this is the next stage of your life. And let's elegantly come away from the first phase and start to think about what the next phase looks like as true lifestyle financial planners should do. Um, so, so, so that's kind of that's kind of where we where we were. And my my training academy, coaching, change the future program, and stuff like that. That's that's my that's my way of trying to grow a better grow the profession and grow a better profession and help people. You know, I I want to help people who want to help themselves. I, I don't have the time or energy. Maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm cynical. Maybe I was always just a grumpy git. But I cannot be in a situation where I want it more for somebody than somebody else. Yeah. Mm. If, if they don't desperately want to change, to improve, to adopt more of the financial planning, to, to adopt a healthier lifestyle for themselves, to, to build better relationships with their spouses, their kids, their community, all that kind of stuff. Other people will take money off them for that, but that just doesn't, it just doesn't interest me at all. But I, I've got a really simple view with that, that if I can help every financial advisor who wants to become a financial planner be the best person, the best human that they can be, the most empathetic, the most understanding of themselves, the most tolerant of people around about them, the most happy in their own skin, the best financial planners will come from there. Because if you're a shambles, right? If you're a disorganized shambles, you're you don't look healthy, you know, maybe you're a bit overweight, although it's not the end of the world, obviously, but you can you've got to look vibrant. You've got you've got to be aspirational in a sense that your clients at least at some point want to look at you and think that there's something in you that they warm to, that they have an affinity to as to what they want for them for themselves and that doesn't mean everybody has to ship their family up and move to the sunshine and all those kind of things but i think there needs to be an element that you you've got to be in the same game that your clients are in if you're not trying to live your best life who the hell are you to talk to other people about their best lives you know if you're not trying to make sure that, that you you know whichever version of it you want you know you want to go hard and die young james dean style or you want to live forever or, or you know whatever that is the planner's got to be in it as well. I just don't get get this idea that 
you know, you can be unsuccessful and unfulfilled and unhealthy looking and, 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 and all that. And, and then suddenly just click your fingers and come away with some sort of amazing life planning skip that, that suddenly people go, ah, oh, do you know, I, I, I just don't think that stuff's worth. I think it's a whole person thing if you want to do this stuff properly. And it, and it doesn't have to be my version. There's lots of different versions of it. But you need to understand that you've got to be in whatever game you want to to impart on to other to other people um and look after yourself first of all you know put you put yourself it's one of those weird things that you know you put yourself first in order to do right by other people which flies in the face of i don't know what probably what we were all told growing up but you have to put yourself first otherwise you're good for nothing to anybody else if you don't look after yourself if you're not fit and healthy and sharp and energized and rested and well-fed and everything else you're no use to your teams and your various businesses mm. none and if you spend your life as a people pleaser trying to please everybody else to the detriment of yourself ultimately you end up becoming no use to them anyway so you've got to have enough focus on yourself and and your own development your own self-care is i suppose the right kind of wording and stuff isn't it but your own relationships and everything else and if you get that stuff then you've got genuine empathy when you sit down with people, whether it's members of your team or whether it's clients or professional partners or funders or or, or whatever. You've, you've, you've got to have done some living. You've got to have done some, you know, that's that kind of stoic principle, isn't it? You've got to have some suffering and be on your own journey in order that you can be credible and attractive to, to other people. And I believe anyway, um, Incredible in, in their journeys and, and in their life. Incredible stuff. So you, a, a couple of years ago, tell the story yourself, because uh, I'm going to say it wrong. You uprooted <laughs> the family from from uh, Manchester, you know, and and mm. move, or you know, north of England, and, and moved moved uh, over to Spain. And then yeah. you were advising clients from Spain. So UK was this the case? You were you know, advising UK clients, although I get the sense that now most of the UK clients is now dealt with by, um, you know, Tamsin and the financial planners in the UK. And you mm. now then decided to set up Smart International um, advising, yeah. is it U UK, you know, UK immigrants, I'm going to use that word, U UK yeah. British citizen, who are my, I don't want to use the word, you know, like when I was, when I was, um, you know, uh, yeah, like when I was growing up, we, they say, oh, you know, when British people go elsewhere, they're experts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're experts, when other people come to Britain, like I do, we're immigrants, yeah. right? <laughs> I know, it's, it, it's crazy. <laughs> I'm messing with so many people's heads right now saying this stuff, right? But anyway, so now you're dealing with you're dealing with yeah. British immigrants in Spain. We we do. Yeah. Tell me so about Spain, that side of things. <laughs> so Spain, Portugal, uh, France, right. really any, anywhere outside the outside of the the UK, and um, it, it, there was a couple of reasons for it. Really, I, we had some UK clients who were leaving. They, who were emigrating in order to become immigrants somewhere else. Um, and, you know, whilst the rules haven't changed, this is a total misnomer, the rules haven't changed since Brexit in any real fundamental sense because nobody had the correct permissions. Almost nobody had the correct permissions to advise right. anybody who wasn't a UK national. Anyway, Brexit kind of shone a light on it rather than anything else. But the reality was that, that we couldn't continue to look after people after they'd left the, the UK and gone gone somewhere else. And I had one particular client who was really quite irritated about that. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, hang on a minute. And, and they kind of turned around and went, yeah, but you live there. I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> you know, my argument was pretty weak. If I was in Manchester, I'd be like, look, if you're in Spain or you're in Portugal or something, of course I can't advice um so we've had a kind of a couple of these instances came along and um then i i met my colleague in that business johnny uh holdaway in by random coincidence another uk-based chartered and uh, not yet chartered and to be certified financial planner in the same crossfit gym in a little village in in spain 
Um, so I, I kind of felt, you know, that, that, that whole story about, you know, people going up to heaven and saying, all I needed was a sign, you know, and the reality was there was like a thousand signs. They'd just chosen to ignore them all. Uh, so eventually I thought, right, okay, that's enough science that says I should be, you know, we should be doing this. So, so set that up a year and a half ago, knew literally nothing about anything other than, than the UK, despite the fact I'd been in Spain for coming up on 10 years, um, I just didn't know anything about it. And the weird thing about it was that we made our application through a, a, a network called Nexus, um, who are part of a company called Black Tower, who are authorised through Cyprus. Um, and that then allows you to passport around all of Europe and actually a, a lot around the world and stuff as well. Um, so we kind of made contact with them and they're like, yeah, well, yeah, it'd be great. We, we'd love to have you. We can set you up or whatever else. And uh, I provided all my UK badges and stuff. And they're like, super. And I'm like, okay, so how do I, who's going to teach me what on earth are the rules in Spain or Portugal or France or anything else? And, and the answer was, do you not know that already? I'm like, no. So uh, <laughs> I don't. Um, but the, the funny thing about that is that that actually put me in the same situation as 99.99% of people that offer financial advice in Europe. They haven't got a clue. They are, mm-hmm. you know, 70s, 80s UK mindsets that are still firms managing to accumulate 10% initial commissions and investing in funds paying 4% plus a half inside a wrapper structure that they're already getting, you know, and money out back doors and all this kind of stuff. So needless to say, that wasn't wasn't how I would want to do it, having not done it like that ever. Um, so we spent a bit of time kind of getting some expertise and putting the team of um, on-the-ground experts uh, in place so that if we had somebody that was coming, so obviously we'd understand the UK bit, so we worked with an international tax advisor that helps the clients kind of navigate their journey out of the UK and into somewhere else because the thing that people often forget is that it's not just about your residency where you go, it's also about losing the residency that you had in the UK, especially if you've sold a business or properties or whatever in your part of your plan is to to avoid paying the capital gains tax on it. So so we've got somebody that does that. We've now got a collection of accountants and solicitors on the ground in the various countries. So I get to be the, the person I want to be in this. I get to be the life planner guy to talk to people about the fun stuff. And round about me are, are people who can do all the technical bits to make sure that I don't we don't mess up. Um, and it's been great because we're dealing with people who've already met, you know what I said earlier on, like in, in the kind of coaching and training and stuff like that, I can't help people who, who don't want to be helped and, and, and who don't want it more than I want it for them. Well, these are people that have already decided they're going to up sticks in one country and go move to somewhere else. So they've already got that about them, that they are excited. They're looking forward to the next stage of their journey. They're looking forward to uh, what the future might bring and a new life and, life in the sun and you know all that all that kind of stuff so these are brilliant people to work with and um you know the the ability to impact them and their their future arrangements and um and, and caution them i guess as well on the down some of the downsides that are associated especially when they're selling you know you've got young people selling businesses for loads of money and then moving you know moving to the sunshine in their dream and you sit them down and like meeting number three once they've agreed to pay obviously and point out the fact that they're, you know, they're going to, they're going to experience some element of depression within six months of getting to where they're going to go, and they look at you like you're mental. Um, and uh, then they come back afterwards and go, "Yeah, I feel a bit crap, Steve. I think you said something about this before, you know." So you get the chance to having, having experienced it from a, um, from a personal point of view of moving the family across, but also worked with a lot of people selling their businesses in the past and people retiring. And we know all the psychology that goes around that. People find it something kind of similar to bereavement behavior sometimes. Um, and, and everybody has challenges, it, it, different challenges for different people, but everybody has, has serious challenges in adapting to their to their new world at that. So so I get to do the, the, the people bit that I like in the middle and other people do all the hard, techie work around about me. Um, and, and, and it's great. Um, and I'm really, I'm really enjoying, I'm really enjoying doing it. It's interesting. Um, you know, I think I, I need to be stimulated. I need to be interested. In, and you know, the UK system, 
I think I pretty much had it sorted about 10 years ago. I knew all the rules. I knew the right way for stuff to happen. I'd been building models. You know, some of the cash flow modeling stuff had come on board. I didn't have to do that anymore. It was just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And, and for somebody like me, that's dull. So but starting to understand a bit about how the system works in Spain and Portugal and France and, and the incredible efforts some countries go to to try and attract people to get them to come. Um, not Spain, unfortunately, although Spain are about to introduce a new digital nomad. So when we were talking earlier about sunshine, you'll be able to ship yourself off to, to Spain, Abraham, and work under this digital nomad. You'll pay half the tax that I have to pay. Um, and they welcome you with open arms and you still be able to work and run your empire just from somewhere warm and warm and warm and sunny. So there's some kind of, kind of cool stuff going on that like like that, um, that that's fun to be a part. It's fun to learn. It's fun to grow and, and understand and, and kind of build your 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 kind of sphere of knowledge in, in that sense. But in a safe environment where there's actual bona fide experts, it's not clients not running around waiting for me to catch my knowledge up. There's, you know, there's there's. There's real experts round about to to do that. So it's so it's been a fun it's been a fun thing to do actually. We don't do masses and masses of it um, because it's pretty high touch stuff. Um, but you know we're, we're all everybody's very excited about AI and stuff like that at the moment and the chat thing and and all of that. It's never going to the people bit the high touch people bit the hand holding the the reassurance the the just simply being their guy or girl or whatever um, is will always be hugely valuable to people, even when everything else has been commoditized away. People need somebody to trust and somebody to rely on and somebody to help navigate them in a world that they're not comfortable. So, so that's what we've been doing, and it's been it's been fun to do. So the clients, where do they come from? Are they coming from UK financial planners who have clients, um, you know, emigrating to Spain or Portugal? Or are they, yeah. are you meeting clients who are already in Spain and, and talking to you about this stuff? Uh, so predominantly they're coming from UK financial planners who've been kind right. enough to introduce people to us as, um, you know, on the basis that we are as, conceptually identical to to the sort of service that they provided beforehand as opposed to uh, as I said before we're kind of going back in the dark ages so, so that kind of works and, and obviously hugely appreciative for for people for doing that a, a little bit on the ground stuff my, my colleague Johnny concentrates a little bit more on the people that are here already um, we were asked recently by the mayor of the village that I live in to do a presentation to the expat community which was you know just kind of around brexit and residency and and stuff uh and that was all very well received because i think up until that point they all just thought i was a bum really there's yeah. this guy that was either running or cycling or in the gym or sat about yeah. having coffee or pissed on a saturday night or whatever I'm like oh I, I didn't know you knew anything about that <laughs> uh, so yeah so that's been it that's been well, you're just this athlete guy that that didn't seem to do anything so so that's been quite uh, that's been quite fun to to do as well but yeah i think it's just new new challenges new things to keep you interested new things to challenge your brain uh get you out of your bed in the morning which is which is important good stuff and i i know you so you you you've done all this work with you know the financial planning training academy in the uk uh and then you're in a world where the financial advice I don't even think we can call it a profession, but I would, in, in that mm. sense, it's way behind. I mean, I have a finance director who used to run, run an international platform, um, you know, that is attracting uh, advisors from Cyprus and, you know, and he tells me, yeah. you know, Cyprus, Portugal, all these places, and he tells me it's a wild, wild west out there. So yeah. do you see the room to take the message of life planning, of financial planning, of being on the same side as your clients out to them? Or have you kind of been there, done that with the UK and don't, don't want to do that anymore? 
It's interesting. At the moment, I'm very isolated from the wider community. I, I just don't engage. I've never been to right. an international advisors event or any of those sorts of things. Um, you never rule anything out, Abram. Everything's everything's mm. possible. Um, again, the, the I think if, if I started to come across people that I genuinely believe wanted to change and needed help, then then we're off and running for for sure. Um, I'm not sure how many of those people there will be. I kind of get the sense that they're all quite happy making shit tons of. Um, Initial commission and yeah, ten percent, seventy percent, crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, then you know you don't need to worry about invest a hundred thousand pounds for a client, make ten grand. I mean, life's easy. I mean, you'd like to think it's difficult at three in the morning when you wake up and you have to deal with your conscience, but but financially and and operationally. Strolling the park. There's an awful lot of people with a hundred thousand quid. You know, we operate a, a, a minimum fee of it's always four grand a year, but then with inflation being so high, I think it might be four and a half now. But but that's a different thing. You know, there's that that precludes an awful lot of people that simply can't afford to pay that. Um, but yeah, you're running around giving away free advice because the provider is going to pay you. Everybody's got fifty grand's a client because you're still making five grand. It, it's, it's bonkers so i think the there will be it will be out there you know when i when i started proper financial planning i i believe there was probably about three of us in the in the world and there was maybe 50 there, there certainly wasn't many in 2000 and 2005 and i don't think it was rdr that did it i think it was just as as time moved past and people were doing it differently and, and talking about it and um you know, people, good people with good morals and ethics started to go. Hmm, it was certainly, it's certainly a bi better business model, right? Like if you're going to sell yeah. to these guys or girls, um, you know, earning 10% commission on 50 grand, you're going to sell the message of, you know, um, you know, fee for planning, you know, ongoing relationship, uh, you know, an annual revenue w for them, you know. That you know, I, I think if they're focused on long term and want to build formidable businesses, as a lot of people, financial planners in the UK are, are, have, yes, clearly mm. it's a much better business model. But uh, you know, if they're focused on paying the bills or you know, paying for their yacht and whatever it is they've got over the next year or so it's tricky to, to, to preach that message. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure it will come in. I'm sure it will come in time. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I might take myself off to one of these events uh, next year and just have a, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I can imagine you in those events, you will absolutely hate it. It will feel ridiculous. <laughs> whatever the, whatever it is they're saying. Yeah, as we begin to wrap this up, um, what would what would that twenty-something-year-old Steve, who was mm. what dropping out of, you know, his medical school program, what yeah. do you think he will say? You know, looking at you today, how much you've accomplished? You know, the business, the impact you've made on other people, you know, not just myself, you know, many people in the profession um, and, and, and the clients. W what do you think he will say to you and what would you say to him? Wow. Well, I think that... So there was a bulletproof ego in amongst all the failing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my... Sadly, nearly 10 years departed mother used to always say, I don't understand why you've got such a high view of yourself. Um, and, and, it, and it wasn't it wasn't in a negative way. It was just like there was a massive disconnect between my ego and my my earned reality. Um, so I, I think. I don't think I'm anywhere that the 25 year old me didn't think I was always going to be 
the, the details being in Spain thing that that's slightly different. I, I don't that would never have happened if I hadn't met Michelle and our family have got a background in Spain and stuff. I don't think that would have been the reality. But I think um, you know, having worked quite hard and being quite bright and being prepared to do things differently and challenge and question and feel no need to follow the herd. Um I think I always sort of expected to be roughly where I where I am now. And so a lot of it kind of washes over me in that sense. I'll tell you one thing that did happen. I built a gym in the garden, like a brand new purpose-built mini CrossFit gym. And the day it was finished, I sat outside it with a can of lager because I'm still Scottish at the end of the day, uh, drinking my can of lager thinking, yeah, actually, you've done pretty well. Um, because that was a that was a dream that was just one of those um, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice kind of things? But actually, to be in that, it, it's funny that that struck me more as a sense of achievement, really, than than, and the fact that my kids don't hate me. You know, that's that's pretty cool, um, or at least they don't tell me they hate me. So I'm kind of assuming that we're still we're still all right, Matt. But so so that that was a bit. Uh, Strange, probably not the answer that you were looking for in in that sense, but but yeah, that was the one thing that I really thought actually, you know, you you're doing all right now. Um, as for what I would say to the younger version, uh, I think I would, I think the message I try to get across is to understand that it's all about people quicker. So realize that it's not about money, it's not about products, it's not about solutions, it's about people quicker and and invest time earlier in understanding human psychology, understanding what's truly important. But there's also an element, I think, on that. In the same way that I said with planners, I think you've got to be in the fight as well. You've got to be fighting for your own stuff, whatever's important to you if you're going to try and help lead, because I think we're leaders, right? We're leaders of clients. We're leaders of teams. If we're going to be good at this, we have to be leaders. We have to accept the responsibility that comes for being leaders. And it doesn't mean that you can't follow and put yourself. I tell everybody about my fail stories. Um, uh, but you've got to accept that you're a leader. You're in a position where people are looking to you for guidance and, and, and support. So I think, um, getting earlier in the train of understanding how that works and not just being, uh, you know, a self-important, arrogant, little so-and-so with, without much justification for it to, to truly understand how, how humans work and what, and what, what really is important. I mean, I have conversations with my, my eldest son's 16. He cannot get his head around the fact that not everybody in the world would want more money. He literally can't get his head around it. And we've <laughs> talked about it. We've chatted about it. He cannot get his head around it. So I think there is an element sometimes that you've you've got to grow up. You've got to grow and learn and grow up. Um, and those experiences all kind of contribute into what, what makes you who you are and, and who you're useful to uh, and who you can help. And never like Andy Hart's who you can serve. That's probably just my ego thing. But um, but, but that kind of thing, like it, it kind of shapes you, doesn't it? So I don't know. I mean, I think I would, yeah, probably be be less of an arse, be less grumpy, understand, get on the people train quicker rather than thinking it was a bit money and, and, and whatever else. Um, but on the other hand, a 25-year-old now is in a totally different world to, to the 25-year-old me these things didn't exist to the same extent or it was very much more marginalized. People weren't really doing it. The odd person was, um, but even a lot of CFPs weren't, they hadn't, there was no life element associated to that. It was, you know, state your goals and I'll, you know, I'm a number cruncher. So you went from a product salesman to salesperson to a number cruncher without being a human, like the human bit hadn't sort of arrived even at the time when, when I was doing it, or if it was, I wasn't in touch with the people who were doing it. So I don't know. Just try not get dead. Stay alive. Probably that would have been it. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I, I think the reason your, your, your story resonated and resonates so much with, with, with me and I'm sure others is because you lead with the failures and, you know, I remember listening to you and thinking, oh gosh, um, if he, if he, if he <laughs> stuffed up so much and <laughs> it seems to look all right now, well, I, I bet <laughs> I can uh, at least try. So, yeah, no, um, and I think the 20-something-year-old Steve will probably look at you and say, oh, I told you you'd be all right. You know, you had a big chip, you know, like you had a big chip on your shoulder. I told you if you dropped out of medical school or whatever it was, um, you can find other ways of, of making it in life, and, and, and you did. So, yeah. anyway, um, Steve, thank you very much for the work you do. Thank you for your contribution to, to the profession, to, to others, and uh, for, for being you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom on the podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks very much again for, for having me on. As I said before, you know I love watching your journey, and if I've had any tiny wee part in that, that would be amazing. It's great to be to be part of the timeline journey now going forward as well and you know i'm looking to see what's what's coming next for you if i see you slacking a couple of years without a new entity i'm going to be down <laughs> kicking your ass so you've been warned thank you Steve. thank you I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Pytech low-cost flat fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you.